I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 62, which is our sermon text for this morning, Psalm 62. After I read this psalm, I'm going to invite our speaker up and uh, allow you to get to know him a little better. But first, we're going to read Psalm 62, which if you're, if you're using a chair Bible, it's page 504. Hear the word of the Lord. I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My stronghold, I will never be shaken. How long will you threaten a man? Will all of you attack as if he were a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God. My strong rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Common people are only a vapor. Important people, an, illu uh, uh, an illusion. Together on a scale, they weigh less than a vapor. Place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. If wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. God has spoken once. I've heard this twice. Strength belongs to God, and faithful love belongs to you, Lord, for you repay each according to his works. This is God's holy and inspired word. Thanks be to God. Well, I want to introduce you to our speaker, Dr. Robert Jones. Many of you heard him in the first hour. And so uh, let's welcome Bob up front. And uh, let me just give you a couple of details about uh, uh, Dr. Jones, and then I'm going to let him preach, I promise. So uh, Dr. Jones is a professor at Southern Seminary. Uh, he is a professor of biblical counseling. He's married to Lauren, who's here. Thank you for being here, Lauren. Um, up there. That's right, over there. <laughs> hey, Lord, thank you for being here. And um, uh, Dr. Jones is an author and a speaker. He's written many books and booklets on anxiety and anger and peacemaking. In fact, we have some of them. Uh, I believe they're outside in the lobby, so go uh, please check those out. We had a wonderful time with uh, Dr. Jones last night. The elders gathered with him, and uh, it was a great time. And we discussed, in particular, biblical counseling in the local Church. So before we preach, I just want had one question for you, and, and here's the question: What is biblical counseling, and why are you passionate about it? Biblical counseling is the uh, application of God's word into our personal or interpersonal relational problems, where we bring the gospel truths to bear in uh, a person who is struggling with life issues, and we do so with care and compassion and wisdom. And uh, in the life of the church, it's the ideal place for it to flourish. Yeah, yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Well, let's uh, hand over the mic to Dr. Jones, and we'll hear from him. Thanks, brother. Okay, thank you. Well, if you stay in Psalm 62, we'll be walking through that today together, Psalm 62. And we have the benefit of some uh, slides to help us keep organized today. Uh, one of the lies 
that Christians might be tempted to believe is that becoming a child of God will immunize you from hardships and suffering and trials. Sometimes we are told that in our um, coming to Christ, that Christ will solve all your problems and giving the impression that we'll be uh, immune to hardships and afflictions. But our Bibles say the opposite, and our experience as Christians, I think, also shows the opposite. And so the challenge is, as we acknowledge that Christians face afflictions, the challenge is how do we handle them in a way that is pleasing to God, in a way that God has designed us as Christians to be able to handle those things. Unfortunately, we don't always do that. And so there are all sorts of wrong ways that we might handle our problems or try to handle those hardships. Uh, we might panic, fall apart, become unhinged, lose it completely, or maybe not quite that uh, extreme. Sometimes we become enraged and angry and bitter at uh, the persons who are involved with causing or occasioning our problems, or we're just angry at ourselves because we didn't handle something well, or honestly, at times, we're actually angry at God, who in His sovereignty has allowed an affliction to come upon us. Sometimes we become overly dependent on people. Now, there's a right dependence. Um, we've talked about that a little bit this morning during the Sunday school time and even just now. Um, but often we can uh, overly depend and run to people for our security or to things for security. Or we might simply doubt God's love, God's presence, and in cases of uh, mistreatment, doubt God's justice. Now, I have deliberately given those categories because actually all of them are addressed in Psalm 62. Psalm 62 can help you if any of those are true of you, or if it's just a matter of temptations to turn away from God, to not open up your life to God. And so, if you are handling circumstances like this now, or if you're not, you will, and if you're not, your friends are, Psalm 62 is for you, and it's certainly one of my favorites. So, when I had the opportunity to preach with you today, I uh, told God when I want to work from Psalm 62. So here's our key question, what is God's way to handle hardships? And I want to answer that in three ways. They're very nuanced. I'm going to say the same thing with a different emphasis each time. And so here's the answer. God urges us to rest our heart in Him alone. Rest our heart in Him alone. And in verses 1 through 4, especially when we face a crisis. So I'm going to start with not verse 1, we'll get there, but verse 3 where the psalmist here faces a crisis. David is in trouble. David was in danger. Verse 3, how long will you threaten a man? Will all of you attack as if he were a leaning wall or a tottering fence? David's recognizing his position of weakness here over against these enemies who are coming upon him. They only plan to bring him down from his high position. We don't know what the scene is necessarily. We don't know who the players are. But we have reason to believe that this is a time when David was either going to become king, and maybe it's Saul, or perhaps more likely it's 
his son Absalom, where David has already become king, and he's going to try to take him down in this rebellion, this coup, this overthrow attempt. We can also somewhat assume that it's probably a Israelite, because look how verse 4 says, they blessed with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. Probably not the pagans here, probably not an enemy nation. This is coming from within, um, some kind of, of people who might profess to be followers of God, but they are not, and they, they curse inwardly. And I hear our Lord's words here in Matthew 15 about the Pharisees. So again, we don't know who, we don't know the situation. You can read 2 Samuel probably to get some background as to what might be going on here. What we do know is they are mocking him with their words, and they're threatening him with violence. This is a serious situation that David faces. Now, I've not been in that situation of being threatened with physical violence. I've not been attacked maybe the way David was, but I know there's times that I feel I've been mistreated, and so have you in this room, whatever level that might be for you. How does the psalmist respond? Verse 1, I am at rest. I am at rest amid, it's important you see this, amid the threats, amid the the accusations, I am at rest. My soul is at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. Rest. What a great word. Rest. I've been all week with granddaughters age five down to three months. wasn't very restful. <laughs> this idea of a baby being the symbol of contentment, that's not true if you've ever had one or been around one. It's not a contented scene at all, especially in the middle of the night, right? When you think of rest, don't think of sleeping in tomorrow. Don't think of me getting back to my bed and I'm looking forward to getting back to. Don't think of sleep numbers or silly posturbedics or whatever. Don't think of some idyllic beach scene in paradise. Talk to a pastor friend. He's going to go take a scenic uh, time away yeah, off the coast of Mexico soon. That's not what David is envisioning here. This is a man in a chaotic dangerous situation. The rest he's talking about is the rest of his soul within a hard, hard circumstance. That's what you need to think of. Where does David find this rest? Well, he tells us, in God. In fact, he says not just in God, but in God alone he finds it. You know, I think of rest, I think of our Savior in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary, and, and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The great prayer of St. Augustine, you have made us for yourself, almighty God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. In God, in God alone, not God plus. As we sang today, if we have Christ, we really do have everything uh, 
what is it that we lack? I think our danger as Christians is to think of God plus, the God plus mentality. If I can have God plus a spouse, if I'm single and want to be married, or God plus a different spouse, or God plus a better spouse, or God plus this, or God plus that, then I would really, you know, put that word really here. I'm, I'm happy in the Lord, but I'd really be happy if. I'd really be happy if. I'd really be happy if the Bengals, Bearcats, or Buckeyes. Is that what you all would uh, think about in this, this part of the country here? Bengals, Bearcats, or Buckeyes? Um, if they would simply, you know, do something different this time, um, well, what is the God plus for you? I, I love my work. I love doing what I do. But for me, I think sometimes there's a God plus there. I'm really content in the Lord, but I'm really, really content when I can do the things that God has called me to do. There's something dangerous there in our souls. What is it about God? In verse 2, we learn that He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. Rock, uh, stability, strength, solidity. Uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking of several people, but one in particular, a lady I talked to who, whose world collapsed underneath her when she learned about her husband's betrayal. And uh, we spent time talking with her. I remember her saying something like this. I don't know how I'm going to go forward. He has been my rock. Now, she didn't intend to go theological or anything like that, right? I mean, she wasn't trying to say that she's denying God. But the way she said it indicated that there's a sense in which there was a dependence on her husband that needed to be shaken and was shaken, unfortunately, by his act of betrayal. Your world will certainly collapse. By definition, it will collapse if something other than God is your rock. By definition, if something other than Lord. I love this verse. He's my salvation. Uh, verse 1, He provides me with salvation. Verse 2, because He is my salvation. Christ provides us with peace because in Ephesians 2, He is our peace. He's the very embodiment of, of peace in that passage or salvation in this passage. He is my stronghold. Literally, it's this idea of a secure height. In ancient battle, uh, one would want to get the upper place there, the higher ground, because you have gravity helping you, and it's easier to throw things down than to throw things up and hurl, hurl weapons and um, ammunition up. You remember playing as kids, if maybe some of you didn't, you do it here with the ice world that you live in. Uh, it's colder here than Louisville. I don't know. Five degrees is what Drew told me. I don't know. It feels like it might be more than five degree difference, differential. Um, but king of the hill, maybe the dirt mound or the ice mound there, you know, and you defy anyone from pulling you off and you push the, push the kids down. This is when I was a kid, by the way. I should have clarified. Uh, <laughs> when we're kids, <laughs> you push them down, right? Because it's the secure place at top. You want to be at the top. Well, that's where God is. He's 
our stronghold. Here's the point one and two I want to bring. This is not a matter of self-confidence. This is not a matter of optimism. This is not a matter of the sun will come out tomorrow, tomorrow. It's not a matter of that. It's a matter of God Himself is our rock, our salvation, uh, our refuge. Let me nuance this in a second way. He urges us to rest in Him alone, not in people or things. Now, we'll get to that specifically, but let me go back to verses 5 and 6 now, or go to verse 5 and 6, where the psalmist again focuses on God. Rest, he says, in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. Look carefully with me at verse 1 and verse 5. Do you notice the difference? In one sense, they're saying the same thing. There's two differences here. There's a minor difference. Verse 1, He is my salvation, right? And in verse 2, instead of saying salvation, or my salvation comes from Him, my hope, all right? So, those are interchangeable, salvation and hope. But there's another major difference between verse 1 and verse 5. Do you see it? What is it? I'm going to let you talk. Can we do that? Okay. Verse 1 is is what? What would we call that? It's, it's, It's a declaration. The Lord is my salvation. Uh, I, I am resting. I am resting. What's verse 5? Does he say in verse 5, I am resting? He's calling his soul to rest. Now, which is it? Is David resting? Or is he telling his soul, soul, you need to rest? Which is it? Yes. It's both end. I love the fact there's no contradiction. It's like that father in Mark 9, Lord, I believe. <laughs> Help my unbelief. Now, which is it? Does the guy believe or not? Here, here's what, you know, I could ask you, do you believe in the Lord? I think... All of you who are members of the church who are Christians are going to say, yes, I believe. Well, then I might say, okay, you say you believe in the Lord, so why are you filled with worry? Well, maybe I don't believe well enough. Well, you said you believe. Yeah, but I don't believe enough. Um, do you love the Lord? Uh, there's some of you who are going to say yes. Really, all of you should say yes, because Paul says in the end of 2 Corinthians, if you don't love the Lord, you're lost, you're cursed. So you ought to say yes, but you're going to have a, some of you are going to have a real hesitancy in your voice, as I would. Do I love the Lord? <laughs> yes, but. Yes, but I want to love Him more. Yes, but not enough. One of the reasons I love Psalm 62 is it really gives us the anatomy of a soul in process. I'm resting in the Lord, but oh, soul, rest in the Lord more. It's a beautiful, beautiful anatomy of what's going on within the soul, this dynamic that's actually happening here. 
And hence, we need to keep preaching to ourselves. Preach the gospel to yourself daily, as uh, the late Jack Miller would put it, and others as well. Verse 7 adds something more about God. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock, my refuge is in God. I'm not going to open up each of these terms, um, but it would tell you that there's some value we see even modeled here in how the psalmist is willing to not just latch on to one favorite phrase about God. Is God, in, when you pray to the Lord, is He only your heavenly Father? No, He's your Father. But have you called Him your rock, your refuge, your salvation? Have you dwelt on what that might entail, on how being a, a rock is something right now that is maybe even more important to me than being my Father? that there's aspects of God that get heightened in different passages of Scripture. And then in verse 8, we have David doing what? Pouring out his soul. I love verse 8. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. There are times, and I've done this, particularly if I'm leading in a worship setting, where I'm going to write out, and calculate and think through carefully the language of a prayer. I think there's wisdom in doing that. There are definitely times where we want to draft and think through exactly how we want to lead others maybe. But that's not what this prayer is about, is it? Pour out your hearts to Him. These honest prayer dealings. You know where this verb is used? It's used of, by Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, where she's apparently like mumbling something not understood by the priest. And the priest says, what's going on? Are you drunk? And she says, not so, my Lord. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Same thing David says in Psalm 142, verse 1 I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy, Psalm 142, verse 2. I pour out my complaint, my lament, my complaint before Him. Before Him, I tell my trouble. And this is David in the cave, hiding. I pour out my soul to the Lord. How honest are you with the Lord in prayer? You just tell Him, Lord, I'm struggling. We talked about this in the uh, Sunday school time together. There's a difference to be made between um, blasphemy and lament. Blasphemy says, Lord, you're wrong. Lament says, Lord, I know you're not wrong, but right now I don't understand what you're up to and I don't even like it. God, help me. The problem's with me, not you, Lord. Uh, or I was mentioning, I think, during the Q&A discussion there. Sometimes people will share with me they, things that they don't feel they can talk to the Lord about, and they'll confide maybe in me. And, and I'll say, well, have you talked to the Lord about this? Have you prayed? No, Bob, I, I, I don't feel I can talk to God about this. And I say, well, okay, I've got some bad news and good news. Here's the bad news. 
He's been eavesdropping on our conversation. <laughs> He's been in the room. He's heard it all. Here's the good news. He wants you to share that with him. He's inviting you to pour out your hearts to him. It's a beautiful picture. He's the refuge to whom we run. I, I think about that refuge vision or the idea of the Lord as a strong tower, the righteous run into it and are, and are safe. I think about it when I see little children standing near their parents and they don't know me. Hi, I'm Bob, and what does a little kid do? He scurries around and gets behind the strong tower of dad's legs, right? Your kids do that. My kids did that. Uh, there's a place of safety they find in their father. And that's the kind of image I hope that you'll have today. As we pour out our souls to him, we rest in him. Now, verse 9 and 10. Here we see this call to rest in the Lord in contrast to resting in people or things. Notice what he says there in verse 10. Common people are only a vapor. Important people, an illusion. This is a uh, kind of a, a technique in literature. For those of you who've studied literature, it's called a merism, M-E-R-I-S-M. It's where you take two poles, two extremes, common people, you know, unimportant people, and important people. We, we say things like, you know, disease strikes the rich and the poor. When you hear that, you don't say, oh, good, I'm middle class. <laughs> no, you understand that the rich and the poor spans the whole spectrum of, of humanity there. Everyone is included. Young and old like this film. Well, that doesn't mean if you're middle-aged, you don't like it. We all like it is the, the whole point of this. And so what he's saying here in verse 9 is people are not to be depended on in that ultimate sense. You run this the wrong way and you become cynical and you become critical. of everything. No, that's not, that's not the psalmist's point here. But they compare to the Lord. They're not to be depended on. Together on a scale, they weigh less than a vapor. Have you tried to weigh air? Have you tried to take a handful of air? I mean, you can do this with your kids, probably have fun with them. Here, take this air and put it on the scale. Let's see what it weighs. No, you don't understand. There's no weight. There's no stability. There's no sturdiness. Uh, they, 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 the Hebrew word for uh, glory is this word kabod. It's it even sounds like a heavy word. It's a, it's a strong word. It's a heavy word. People are not kabod. They're lightweights. They're featherweights. Breathe on the scale. Nothing is going to happen. Don't depend on people, the psalmist says. People are fickle. People are flighty. People will disappoint you. The sooner you learn that as you are in a dating or engagement relationship, and if you're married for more than a weekend, the sooner you learn this, the better your marriage will be. Because you'll learn how to put your full weight on God and not to put your full weight even on your spouse as loving as he or she is toward you. Parents can betray. 
in-laws, spouses, close friends. Read Psalm 55 sometime. You want to learn about a close friend betraying the psalmist. Don't set your heart on people, verse 9. Verse 10, don't set your heart on things. Place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. That would be illegally gained things. But I do think the next line would, would broaden that out. If wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. If you want to just study this further, think of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Read it. If you're tempted to have things, material things, uh, become where you've set your heart. Or the fascinating perspective that Proverbs brings. I love Proverbs 30. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and, far, and lies far from me. That's prayer request number one. And then the request is, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me only my daily bread. Okay, I get half of that, don't you? Don't give me poverty. Because if you do, the next verse says, I'll be tempted to steal. But there's also a request, don't give me riches. Why? Or I may... I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? You can overly depend on people. You can overly depend on things. God, when I made a cardinal mistake today, I'm not noticing when I started. <laughs> well, I wasn't about to end. I'm more... <laughs> Cardinal mistake. I even had a little clock here, by the way, because I saw that up there. Yeah. All right. I'm going to say, I'm going to add one thing, and then I'm going to get to my, my, my concluding points here. I love the part in The Lord of the Rings um, where uh, Tolkien, uh, it, it's not in the movie, by the way. It's in the book. It's in the uh, book two, chapter eight. Farewell to Lorien is the name of the chapter. Book two, chapter eight. The company is preparing to leave the land of the elves. And, of course, we remember our friend Gimli, the dwarf, who is absolutely enchanted with the Lady Galadriel. He is ready to die for her and, and cut down anyone who might say anything negative about the Lady Galadriel. And the Lady Galadriel gives gifts to Gimli, the dwarf, and to other members of the, of the party. Do you remember the gift that she gives to Gimli? Got to be a fan for this one. It's not in the movie. It's in the book. Three strands of her hair. Very good. We have some fans. Three strands of her, her beautiful golden hair. And she says this. I love this line. If hope should not fail, then I say to you, Gimli, son of Glowen, that your hands shall flow with gold, and yet over you gold shall have no dominion. Outside of Scripture, I would argue that might be the most powerful sentence ever said about money. Money is not bad. May your hands overflow with gold. Yet, over you it should have no dominion. That's what the psalmist is getting at here. Don't set your heart. Wealth is not the problem. Don't set your heart on that. And so in times of crisis, it's easy 
too easy to trust in people, to trust in things. Again, I'm not talking about uh, wise ways we need to confide with each other, get help from our brothers and sisters within the body of Christ, but there's a way in which we can overly depend even on people when we're facing hardships, okay? So what have we said so far? We rest our hearts in Him alone, especially when we face a crisis like David was going through. Very hard situation, as some of you may be going through or will be going through soon. Not in people or things. Thirdly, rest our heart in Him alone, confident of His power and His love. And we would include also His, his justice as well. I want you to notice the shift in verse 11 and 12. God has spoken once. I have heard this twice. Strength belongs to God. And faithful love or steadfast love, unfailing love, different ways this is rendered by the English translations. This faithful love belongs to you, Lord, for you repay according to his works. You notice the shift here in verse 12? It's another shift that's occurred in this psalm. It's a beautiful shift that's instructive for us, and I want you to see again what true prayer looks like. There are four different audiences going on in, by the writer here. In verse 1 and 2, he's writing to the godly readership. You see that? He's talking about God. In verse 2, uh, He's writing to these enemies who are attacking him. Well, all of you. You go down to verse 5, and now who is he talking to? He's talking to his own soul. He's talking to other people. He talks to his own soul. And then you come to the end, uh, the middle of 11, or uh, really verse 12. He's talking to God. There's no contradiction between talking to your soul, exhorting your soul, and speaking to God. There's this beautiful interplay of how we talk to our God and talk to our own soul at the same time. What do we learn about Him here? He is powerful. Strength belongs to you. Love belongs to you. This covenantal loyalty, this steadfast love, this love that, that looks at the cross of Jesus Christ for our ultimate assurance of our love and sees in Christ this love that God has given us and, and walks into those hardships in the midst of them with confidence, knowing that He is strong, that He is for me, and that He will repay those who um, need to be um, judged at the end of the day. There is something here in verse 12, but it's not for the believer because for us in Christ, there is no condemnation, but there is justice to be done. What do we say by way of conclusion here? God alone, God only. Who else do you turn to? What else do you turn to? Where do you look back? Where do you look forward with some kind of optimism? To whom do you look? God, God alone. I'm going to pray for us, and for me and for you, as we together seek this God amid the hardships we sometimes face.
God, our Father, our salvation, our glory, our rock, our refuge, all that you are in Jesus Christ for us, we do now pour out our hearts to you. I pray that you would help us to do so both now and in those coming hours, coming days, particularly when the afflictions seem to be strong and rising against us, when people turn against us. Would you help us through the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit to trust and rest in you alone, O oh God? We ask for this help in Jesus' name. Amen.